0: Hello, friends. I am so excited about today's conversation. It is with Shira Gill, a best-selling author, home organizing expert, and mom. She is a fellow seeker of order and beauty and joy, having grown up amidst chaos. And she's a dual author. Her first book was Minimalista, your step-by-step guide to a better home, wardrobe, and life. This was published in 2021 and is a fantastic tactical guide that actually was gifted to me by my BFF, Paige Lewin, who is also an interiors person and was my guest on the episode, Pandemic Home Decluttering and Styling, which by the way, was the most popular episode of 2020. The reason I'm talking to Shira today, and it feels long overdue, I must say, is that she has a new book coming out called Organized Living, Solutions and Inspiration for Your Home. It is publishing October, 2023. And it's obviously related to her other book, but it's different in that it provides tactics in a very story-driven way through the stories of other designers. I am so delighted to talk to Shira today because not only do we have a mutual friend in the wonderful Rachel Rosenthal, who was my guest on Decluttering for Everyday Living, but we have so many synergies in our approach, so even though this is our first time talking, I feel like I am talking with an old friend. Welcome, Shira. Oh,
1: thank you. Well, likewise, I've been so looking forward to this, and I feel like we're friends already.
0: (laughs) I know, right? It's like (laughs) the more of your stuff that I read, the more I see it on Instagram, the more like everything. I just, I'm such a fan, and that might sound weird. It's not a fan. I'm not a fan because (laughs) we are so similar, but I just feel like the way you speak and project and communicate in the world is so welcome and so needed. And so I just, I love you. And I'm prepared to fall further in love with you during our conversation.
1: Fantastic.
0: (laughs) All right. So with that glorious intro under our belts, let me just dive right in because I do have a number of questions for you. And I want to start at the beginning. I feel like everything is anchored in values. I had a whole episode that I released this year called identifying your values just to go really one-on-one. And I would love for you to share your perspective on this from the decluttering home lens. Can you talk about why it is so important to tune into your personal values and the limitations of your space and how that also connects to your organized enough philosophy, which I love, by the way, because it connects to something foundational in both minimalist parenting and edit your life, which is letting go of the shoulds?
1: Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, I love this question so much. And I have kind of adapted a personalized and values-based approach to home organizing, Um, because I think editing and organizing one's home is really about redefining values and answering the question, what is enough, mm. Um, which is a question that I love to think about and ask for myself and help others um kind of guide other people through, is that idea of like, what is enough? Uh, I think we're fed this Kind of message of this more is better ethos, um, which I think is really false and misleaded and um, misguided. And so, in my work as an organizer, I've always started with the question of just asking my clients, What do you want? What do you care about? Um, mm-hmm. Before we even get to their home, um, it's really an examination of their life and their values, as you mentioned. Um, and really, I believe that your home should be a reflection, like a living, breathing reflection of who you are and what you care about and where you're going. Um, and I think if you set up your home um, to really represent who you are and what you care about and your values, it will serve you in so many endless ways, which I've seen in my own home and in my work with clients. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, you mentioned the old shoulds thing, um, which I do feel women in particular feel so much pressure to have their home a certain way. Um, You know, I think we're so influenced by social media and, you know, the, the images that we see in magazines and, I think women feel this pressure of like, I have to have the perfect home. I have to have it set up in just the right way. I'm a failure if, you know, there's a mess or a pile. Um, and so in my work, I really try to debunk all of that and help people figure out what does a successful home look like for you? If we really banish all of those shoulds and just think about who you are and what you care about and, and, Maybe you love the mess of life, but you just want to find your keys. So mm-hmm. um, <laughs> it's that's really good answering <laughs> those questions.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll talk a bit more about your home in in a little bit, but I'm just curious, actually, just on the fly, if because people love examples on the show and they love yes. practical things. So I'm curious, what is one of your core values as it relates to your home?
1: Yeah, so I think one of the things that's guided me the most is I grew up an only child in a very kind of quiet home and I was a child of divorce. And so as a mother and, and just as an adult, I always wanted to be kind of the fun house that people would come to and want to hang out at and feel comfortable in. And so I've really tried to set my home up so that it facilitates hosting and entertaining. And even, you know, we share our home, um, for photo shoots or film shoots or Airbnb and, We love hosting and having people over. Um, And so that's a really core value of mine is, I guess, hospitality. Mm. And it's guided me in so many ways. Like I'm just looking at my floor right now and it's totally scratched up. And I kind of love that. Like we live in a hundred year old home. And so everything is original and has character. Um, And while my home is really minimal and um, I think beautiful and stylish, It's really like the thing that guides me is I want people to be able to relax and enjoy and not feel like it's so precious or they can't touch things. Um, So we used to host a babysitting co-op and we would have like 20 kids like skateboarding in our house. Wow. (laughs) And so I was like, yes, I've made it. Like This is the value that I wanted my kids to grow up in, like the the house that kids can skateboard in.
0: Wow. That's that's amazing. That might be one place, one of the few places where we differ that makes me have a panic attack, but I love it. I I really love it. That's awesome. (laughs) Well, so I have a number of questions that I want to ask you that are oriented towards solutions, but I'm curious first, because I feel like you have probably seen it all and seen a lot of overlap in the struggles that people have. So in your experience, what is one of the biggest home organizing mistakes that people fall into and how do you recommend they avoid those pitfalls?
1: Yeah. So I might have to give you more than one because there's a few that I just see again and again and again. Yeah, Go for it. Um, Okay. I would say the number one that I see is organizing before editing, uh, before Mm. decluttering. And I think what I've seen in my work again and again is that most people have primarily a volume problem and not a systems problem. And so by reducing the volume in your home, it makes it exponentially more easy uh, to get organized, right? Because in my mind, organization is actually wildly simple. It's just about putting similar things together, grouping like with like and having everything have a home. And so I think when people call me and they say, help, I need to get organized, I always start with just questioning volume. Mm-hmm. How much do you own? Is it more than you can manage easily? And what I would say is that on average, um, when I work with a client, we reduce between 30 and 50% of wow. what they own.
0: Wow. Okay. <laughs> so
1: it's really, I'm more of an editor yes. than an organizer. And um, and I think most of the real root cause of the issue that I see again and again is too muchness and volume mm-hmm. that is just become unmanageable. So mm-hmm. number one is just do not run to the container store and buy more containers to solve your organizing problem. Just start by really taking a step back in assessing volume. Mm-hmm. Um so that would be number one. Um the other big one that I see is just biting off more than you can chew. I think it's so easy to get excited about organization and just think like, okay, I'm gonna sweep through my whole house and today's the day. And what I see is it just leads to heaps and piles everywhere and a lot of overwhelm. Mm-hmm. So I always advise one space at a time and within that space, like one micro space at yes. a time. Yes. So <laughs> do not try to organize your entire home in a day. Maybe start with your entry and maybe just start with, the coats on your entry hooks. Mm-hmm. like take it one little mini. And I know you talk a lot about quick wins. So I'm a huge proponent of like the 15 minute win. Mm-hmm. Of take one little micro space. Maybe it's your junk drawer. Maybe it's your purse. Maybe it's your refrigerator and just set a timer and declutter and group like with like and wipe down surfaces. And then you have an organizing win under your belt.
0: I love it. Oh my gosh. That's so good. And yes, I feel like that anytime I read or see the advice to just like dump your whole closet out and start fresh. I'm like, I cannot, I cannot even No, Don't do it. Please don't do it. (laughs) It's just too much. It's too much. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, we have a ton more to cover Cheryl, We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. As you know, I am all about micro improvements. And if you'd like to dedicate a little time each day to learn a language, I have a great solution for you. Babbel is a science-backed language learning app that offers 10 minute language lessons designed to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Materials are rooted in real life situations so you can learn important basics such as ordering food and asking for directions. Babbel offers personalized learning content, real-time feedback, tracking, and visualizations. And their speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent. No matter what level you are looking for, casual, intense, or something in between, you can enjoy app lessons, podcasts, and live classes from the comfort of your home on your schedule. Here's a special limited time deal for Edit Your Life listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription. This is only for Edit Your Life listeners at babbel.com edit. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash edit. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash edit. Rules and restrictions may apply. Did you know that hyaluronic acid naturally occurs in our skin, but decreases gradually as we age, leading to thinner, drier skin? If you're looking for support hydrating your skin from the inside out, check out one of the tools in my hydration arsenal, Rituals Hyacera, which I take every morning. Okay, friends, we are back with the wonderful Shira Gill. Let's get into solutions. So Shira, you live in 1200 square feet with two kids, a partner and a dog. And I am definitely with you in terms of being a fan of the less space you have, the less that there is to take care of in terms yes. of square footage. Uh-huh. So I imagine your approach and discoveries on how to best thrive in a small space continue to evolve. So- Can you share a favorite tip or two related to living in small spaces?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I will say I love living in a small space. So Mm -hmm. I don't think of it as a concession at all. I think like living in a small space has elevated our life in so many ways.
2: Mm. Um,
1: So one of the tactical things I would say that we've been using a lot recently um, is borrow instead of buying. Mm. So I think in this kind of um, sharing economy that we have, such easy access to now. Um, Like a recent example is we are not a family that goes camping a lot, but my daughters are both enrolled in summer camps where they are going on camping trips. And so we received a list of like every single item they needed to pack up and bring of which we owned almost zero. (laughs) And so I immediately thought, well, we don't have room for like tents and sleeping pads and headlamps. Like we, we just literally don't have the storage space. And so we remembered that our across the street neighbor goes camping all the time and they also have two kids. And we just asked if they would be willing to loan us their gear for three days and they were happy to oblige. So that's a really simple example, but Mm -hmm. of just questioning, like, wait, is this something I could just, you know, rent or borrow, um, I think likewise, you know, I own very few formal attire outfits. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm kind of past the age where you're going to weddings all the time or baby showers. And so in the instance that I'm invited to a wedding or a bat mitzvah or something that requires, say, a black tie outfit, I will always just go to a girlfriend and say, like, can I borrow something? And I'm happy to dry clean it and return it. So um, I've been kind of amazed at even just the local resources like in berkeley where i live in california we have a tool lending library that you can borrow any tool under the sun oh my gosh
0: that's amazing that is amazing (laughs) yes so
1: i think just looking around at your community and your neighborhood and your friends as a resource um instead of accumulating more things that you may not need because it's like a one and done um In addition to that, I would just say, and my kids probably don't love this one, but you know, (laughs) we share a lot of items instead of each having our own. So an example would be like, we have one itty bitty bathroom for our family of four and limited shower space. And so instead of having four different shampoos, we have one.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And it's like a communal shampoo and a communal conditioner and we have one soap, and I tried to convince everyone to get on board with one toothpaste, but that's where I lost them. Uh, so, <laughs> it doesn't always work, but
0: the kids—they want that bubble can, gum flavor. They I want the say. bubble
1: gum. I know they're not into the mint. <laughs> so, and the last one I would say is just um, maximizing vertical space. So. yeah. You know, we have two closets for our entire home, and that includes like we don't have an entry closet um or a mud room. But just adding hooks or wall shelves goes a really long way um in maximizing the space that you do have. And, you know, we went we walked directly into our living room in our home. There's really no place to put anything, mm-hmm, but just same. by mounting handful of hooks, you know, for coats and bags and umbrellas and putting a little basket on the floor to drop shoes like it's an instant entry system.
0: Mhm. Mhm. Oh, my wheels my wheels are turning. I might have to do a little <laughs> fit of reorganization when I yes. when I get off this podcast. So well, fun. since you mentioned kids, you share tons of tactics. <laughs> on the topic of children and yes. their stuff in both of your books. But I wanted to wind back and ask something a bit more broad because this this is something that comes up in questions all the time from listeners to me. How do you handle bridging the gap between wanting less stuff and this relentless, I will say, culture yeah. of kid tchotchkes in tandem? And, you know, in tandem with kids who really want to hold on to every single thing, my kids are very yeah. different. One has no trouble letting go. One, as a young kid, wanted to hold on to every single thing. So how do you recommend parents approach that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's such a good question and one that I've grappled with a lot as a mom. Um, I've even, you know, I've tried the, like, gift-free party and it doesn't work. (laughs) People (laughs) want to bring the
0: gifts.
1: (laughs) So I think what I found to be most successful is, A, modeling the values that I believe in. So. Walking the walk with my kids, like, I think it's really tricky to model with kids, you know, owning less and having boundaries if they see you not doing the same thing with your stuff and your Mm -hmm. life. Um, So my kids see me practicing the one in one out rule. If I really want a new pair of shoes, I donate a pair of shoes to make space. Um, That's something that they've kind of grown up with. But I think one of the things that's the most helpful for parents is just physical boundaries. Um, And letting the physical boundaries of your space guide you, because I think it's something that's really pragmatic and visual that kids can understand. So an example would be like if you have a child who wants to keep like every little gemstone and rock and trinket and party favor, setting up, you know, I usually call it like a treasure box or a special bin, Mm. um, something that can be theirs solely that they can have full ownership over that you say, you know, so one of my daughters is Emily. So Emily, this is your treasure box. It's just for you. I will never touch anything in it. I will never donate or discard anything in it, but this is the limit. So you get to decide what goes in it. And if it becomes full and you want more things in your treasure box, you get to decide what you're going to part with. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think modeling that like, you can't just keep collecting forever. It's not sustainable. Um, but you get to be in the driver's seat and you get to be the decision maker around what those treasures are for you. Um, so that has been very helpful. And then I think having, you know, a seasonal purge, you know, before big holidays or before a birthday has been really helpful Um, in my family is, you know, like, okay, it's Christmas and Hanukkah and, you know, gifts are coming in. Let's go through and get rid of the things that you don't like anymore, that you've outgrown, that are babyish. And I think what I've seen in my work is that kids are much more motivated um, to discard and let go when they know that abundance is coming. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's been really useful. And then also identifying um, somewhere in your local community that you can donate to that actually can make a difference in your community. And connecting that with, you know, the value of generosity and talking to your kids about, you know, we have more than enough and this is what enough looks like for our family. There are some people that don't have toys or don't have games and we can be like helpers in our community. Um, I have seen that help, you know, with my kids in terms of like, look, you have 12 games. Why don't we give... Five of these games away to kids that would really enjoy them and use them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so modeling that value, um, and the one other like little tip I have, like you know, my kids' their route to school passes by a toy store and a bookstore, and so basically every day that I used to walk them to elementary school, it would be like, I want this, I want that, we get this, <laughs> you know, it was like part of the route, and so I started saying okay, let me put it on your birthday list. And what was so interesting is just by noting it and kind of saying to them, like, I hear you. I see you that you want this. I'm writing it down for you. It's in a safe place. They would forget about it by the next day. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when we did have a holiday or birthday coming up, I could reference that list and say, you know, these are the things you said you really wanted. Which of them do you still want? And, you know, what are you still interested in? And it would be a tiny fraction.
0: Mhm. Mhm. I love that. That is so incredible because I think it's just about really letting your kid be heard in that moment, which is really awesome. Yeah. And also two other things that came to mind. I just realized I don't know if it was fate or maybe my mind was orienting <laughs> towards knowing that we were talking today. But with both my kids, since you mentioned the charitable component, one of them, my younger one, Violet is going to a birthday gathering today where the ask was you know, no no actual gifts, but if you could instead, if you want to bring uh, new or like new clothing and some other donation items for a local charity, which I thought was mm, fantastic. love that. And I'm honoring that. And then yeah, the other yeah. one is that just this morning. So this is the part where I'm like, I wonder if my brain knew I was talking to Shira, but <laughs> my older one who is a teen and is 18 and is a little obsessed with decluttering right now, which is I'm not <laughs> sure like what happened, but she's doing it. And I talked to her and She's accumulating quite a lot of stuff to get rid of. And I scheduled, there are a number of organizations. This one's Vietnam Veterans of America, I think. Mm -hmm. I will look it up and link it up, but they will roll by your house. Like they have days that they come to different locations. And so I scheduled a donation day for a pickup day, rather, for two weeks from now. So I was like, okay, Laurel, here's our target date. Let's finish our project. So it was nice because it actually puts a kind of a date on the calendar to shoot for, too
1: love that so much. Um, and the one other thing I would just say, I used to be a preschool teacher in a previous life. And as you know, having that experience and also being a mom and, you know, hosting a lot of kids, what I see again and again is kids really thrive with open spaces. And, Mm. you know, I mentioned like letting kids skateboard or roller skate in my house or like make pillow forts, but I see again and again, like even when we had toys, What the kids would gravitate towards was just other creative expression, like making something out of a cardboard box or, you know, when they were really little, like playing with the Tupperware in the kitchen on the floor. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to reemphasize that I think, you know, trusting that your kids are endlessly creative and resourceful and, and having abundance of space in your home instead of abundance of stuff can be such a gift.
0: Oh, my gosh. I love that. Okay, that's going that shall go on an Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. Yay! Well, we're talking about we talked about a number of sustainable living type of topics and you share a number of great tips in this domain in both your books. But I would love if there's something we haven't already covered, if you have a favorite sustainable living tip that you wanted to share with our listeners today
1: yeah sure I mean, so um I've gotten really involved in the sustainability movement, and I've been interviewing a lot of sustainability experts who know much more than I do and and what's been really interesting is the top tip that everyone has shared with me is that the number one thing we can do to be more sustainable is to buy less and use what we already have mm-hmm. and I love that tip because it's so simple and actionable, and everyone can do it um. So I always just want to drive that home that I think often when people think sustainability, they think that it means they have to go out and consume more sustainable products. Um, Yes. But it's actually really the number one thing you can do is just like audit your buying and buy less and use what you have and repair before you replace, you know, Mm -hmm. borrow before you buy. Um, shop small and local, um, is another thing I think, you know, Amazon has made it so easy to buy everything and anything with the push of a button, but everything we buy then, you know, comes in a cardboard box or a plastic bag. And so the more that we can support our small local mom and pop stores, you know, the better, um, for so many reasons. Um, and I think it feels really good to. You know, have relationships with like your small local books bookstore and say, you know, I've heard about this new book. I'd love to pre-order it. Um, even if it does cost a little more than the Amazon, even if it's a little less convenient, um, those are kind of a handful of small things that I think we can all do to make a big difference.
0: I love that. And I'll also just toss in a tip that I recently we needed glasses and I was I've recently been a little worried about how much that goes in the recycling that actually might not get recycled. <laughs> yeah. No. So I have started collecting, you know, salsa jars, whatever kind of jars that can work for glassware. And given that I am a creature of habit and often buy the same product like many, many times, we have like some very nice sets of like jam jars and salsa jars that mm. can serve as drinking glasses. And I just yeah. like love little tiny things like that where we haven't needed to buy something, we've taken something out of the recycling pile. I don't know, just the little things matter a lot.
1: A hundred percent. And I'll say, you know, when I'm organizing a home, I always shop my client's home before we buy anything. And mm-hmm. it's kind of incredible. Like if you just say, "Do I have a vessel that could get this job done?" Like I've had people repurpose apple boxes to make drawer dividers. Oh yeah, um, because they're so sturdy and like they really are very well made. So you know, your iPhone boxes can be a you know a drawer organizer in your junk drawer you can repurpose any old bin or basket or Mason jars are like incredible for everything under the sun. So yeah, I think it's just looking at your home with fresh eyes and saying like, what can I reuse or repurpose instead of buying and just mm-hmm. taking that beat?
0: Oh, so good. Okay. We are going to take another quick break and then we will be back for a few more questions with Sherry Gill. This show is sponsored by better help. Do you struggle with boundaries and the general complexities of peopling? Relationships are necessary to our well-being and some relationships are just well complicated. A good chunk of the work I have done in therapy centers on relationships, how to own my part of the story, how to let go of relationships that are toxic, and how to navigate challenging relationships in a way that doesn't drain me. And all of this work helps me show up better for myself and also as a partner, mom, friend, family member, and business owner. If you're thinking of starting therapy, check out BetterHelp. This online therapy platform was designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com/edit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, hel edit Especially in this digital age, since we're well beyond handwritten journals and letters to convey history, the preservation of stories is so important, especially from the moms and mom figures in our lives. And if you've been looking for a way to collect those stories but aren't sure how to start, I have a recommendation for you. Storyworth makes it easy. Every week, they email a loved one of your choosing a question prompt that you pick, for example, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self, and what aspects of having children didn't turn out the way you expected. Your loved one responds to that email with a story of any length. You will receive copies of these emails as they are submitted, and after one year, StoryWorth compiles the stories and any photos provided into a keepsake book. A friend recently shared how moving it was that her mom gifted copies of her StoryWorth album to immediate family members, a genius idea for expanding the preservation and sharing of those stories to people in different households and generations. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift you'll all cherish for years, StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash edit. That's StoryWorth. Dot com slash edit to save $10 on your first purchase. Hello, friends, we're back. And I hope you are feeling as energized as I am about this wonderful conversation with Shira Gill. Well, I'm gonna get us started on what might seem like a little bit of an odd or heavy topic, but it's very interesting. I have been having a lot of conversations lately regarding death, (laughs) the sandwich generation, and the burdens Mm -hmm. of what I'm calling generational decluttering. Actually, by the time this episode airs, I will have had an essay published in Boston Globe magazine where I referenced Swedish death cleaning. Yeah. (laughs) So I I know you've thought a lot about and communicated a lot about this kind of topic, and I'm curious if you have a tactical recommendation or perhaps an overarching perspective on how to handle the very, very complicated process of dealing with people's stuff after or in advance of somebody's passing.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, I've been through this both as um a daughter who I lost my dad about 10 years ago and I was the only family member um in California and so I was kind of tasked with cleaning out his home and reconciling his mm. estate and um it was a really excruciating process and I will say you know, I was so grateful to my father for some of the things he had done to set things up in an organized way. And so it, it really made me think about what I can do to make it easier on my kids one day. Um, so one of the things I would say, um, is just centralizing your most important life documents, um, having them all together in one place and letting, whoever's going to be inheriting the things you leave behind know. Um, So some of the things I would mention, you know, along those lines would be tax and financial records, estate planning docs, insurance info, um, will trust healthcare directives and logins and password IDs. Mm -hmm. So if you can put in the rather unpleasant work now of getting all of that organized and centralized, um, not only will it feel like a relief to you, I have to say, you know, like I kind of had those as nagging tasks for years. And when me and my husband finally said like, okay, let's sit down and slog through this and make these decisions. And we now have one kind of binder that's like, says like important documents (laughs) and you know, our kids know where it is and Mm -hmm. our family members know where it is. And, You know, we set up a one password account that has every login and password, you know, for everything. And so I think, A, it just is a good lesson in adulting that like these things are really not fun. But if you can take, you know, a few days even to just like hunker down and get it done, you will feel such a sense of relief and peace and freedom that you're making it easier um, for your kids or your family um, and I can say, you know, when I um, went to my father's house for the first time and I brought a family member who was going to help me, and my dad had like this one tidy, organized file cabinet. And he said to me, the man who was helping me said, your dad did a really good job. Like, this is going to be so much easier than, than for most people. Yeah. And I just remember that moment of feeling like organization really can be a gift that mm-hmm. you give to your family. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's um <laughs> it's a very complicated topic and it's one that I I talk about I've just really been having a lot of conversations about it because I do really feel like that gift of either not being burdened with stuff or your it's interesting cuz your recommendation here is all about the sort of details and logistics which are so important and you know I know when my father passed away 18 years ago he didn't have a will and I was like what mm. Yeah. So I've I'm a really big proponent about trying to get people, especially if you have children, you know, to get that stuff rolling. So if you are a listener and you do not have your wishes stated somewhere, I would recommend you start that process.
1: Yeah. And I would even say, I mean, this sounds so kind of morbid, but when my dad died, I found out that he had picked out and purchased his plot, And I was like, so relieved that I didn't have to figure that out while I was grieving. Um, And so that's another thing. I mean, I haven't taken that step yet and it feels kind of emotionally overwhelming, but it's just something I want to mention because it did truly feel like such a gift to not have to figure that out.
0: Yeah, completely. I actually have the opposite problem and I, I write about it in this globe essay, but my parents bought a block of 20 spots like decades ago. And I was like, that's not exactly like what my plan is. So, so how does that work? So oh, fascinating! It, That's there are just so, so many interesting, so <laughs> many angles you could, yes. you could come out with. I mean, let's be honest. I'll say really plainly. I found myself googling human composting Massachusetts. I'm like, this is no doubt the weirdest thing I've ever googled, like right. in my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But
1: it's all about being intentional, right? And yeah, so that you can take some of that pressure off of the people that you love.
0: Completely. Oh my gosh, this conversation is going so many places. All right. Well, (laughs) let me bring it back to your book, Organized Living. Yes. And I just found it it was so beautiful to read this. So first, congratulations. I don't think I really said that properly at the top of the show. It seems like a very large amount of work because you have to have a lot of conversations with people and then you're distilling their story. So your new book shares the stories of a number of fellow designers, like dozens of them and each feature includes tips and takeaways. So I I was like I started taking notes and then i was like <laughs> oh my god, I have too many notes. So maybe what I just need to do is have a lot of post-its. I don't know. <laughs> I love it. So you have obviously seen a lot in your time as an organizing expert. So what I'm curious about is if there was a tip or two that blew your mind and you were like, "Oh my gosh, this is genius. I can't believe I never thought of
2: that."
1: Yes. Yeah. So I mean, it was such a fascinating process for this book. So I found 25 um, of the top organizing experts around the world. And I actually traveled with my photographer to every one of their homes. I was wondering
0: about that. Yeah. okay, oh yeah. my God. So it
1: was like the thrill of my life to do this book. I feel so lucky that my publisher supported this adventure. Um, and so not only did I interview them, but I literally toured every home and like looked under, kitchen sink and in the medicine cabinet and got to ask every question. (laughs) And so um, one of the things that I remember, it was actually the first home that we shot and it was in Chicago, um, the home of the founder of The Neat Method, which is the biggest home organizing Mm -hmm. franchise in the world. So it was the home of Ashley Murphy and she was in a home that was built in the 1800s. And like mine had very little storage. And so in touring her home, I said, you know, where's your linen closet? And she said, oh, we don't have one. And so I said, well, where do you keep your linens? And she said, we only have one set of linens per bed. Mm -hmm. And we just wash the linens once a week and put them right back on the bed. And I know this sounds so simple, but it really did kind of blow my mind because I am not one of those unicorns who's very good at folding a fitted sheet. And so for me, like folding sheets is the bane of my existence.
0: It is the actual and worst. I mean, it really is. <laughs> yeah,
1: and I just had this light bulb moment where I was like, "Wait a minute! We don't have to fold sheets ever again if we don't want to." Yeah, and I just thought that that was so practical. And what I loved about it is because she only owned one set of sheets, she could really invest in like the nicest, highest quality sheets and mm-hmm. beautiful bedding that she was going to really take care of. Um. So that was one that I really just kind of loved that resonated that I took home and um, shared with the family. Like, we don't have to fold sheets anymore, guys. We're free. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that was super fun. I mean, I would say one of the um, themes of all of these interviews that I did that I just found really interesting because, you know, I consider myself a minimalist and I made it a point of interviewing minimalists and maximalists and everyone yeah. in between and one of the things that every single person in my book told me at one point or another was they expressed this longing for less and even the maximalists even the people that had you know six kids and lived in a huge beautiful home in the suburbs um there was this sense of overwhelm with the volume of stuff that they had to manage and just the longing for less stuff and less to manage and less to organize, even though they are all professionals and know how to do it and can do it. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was really interesting. And then one other thing I'll share, um, this came from Laura Catano, who is, um, a organizer um, based in Brooklyn, New York, and lives in a 300 square foot studio apartment. Um, What I thought was really cool about her and her work veers into interior design and styling is um, she shopped different sections from um, home goods stores. So like if she was furnishing her bathroom, she wouldn't go to the bathroom section. She would really think outside the box. So like in her bathroom, her shower curtain was actually a regular curtain. And um, yeah, yeah, and like she used a marble cheese board as a tray to organize her perfume. And I just loved that kind of outside of the box thinking of, um, you know, thinking outside the box and being willing to um, kind of question like, oh, this doesn't have to just be for the kitchen. This could be for the bathroom or the bedroom or the closet. Um, And she kind of made made every room in her house, like really feel elevated, like a work of art. So even her closet, it was like, everything was beautifully on display. Um, and she taught me about like the display conceal rule, which is very simple. And I think most organizers and designers do it intuitively, but just looking around your home and saying like, are the things that are out in the open, the things that are beautiful and the things that I want to showcase or display. And are those things that are just utilitarian, That the things that we have to keep, like, you know, charging cords or light bulbs or batteries, are those kept behind closed doors or concealed in a drawer? Mm -hmm. Um, And you'd be surprised, like I've been in, you know, so many homes that so many people just don't think to kind of question what is out on display and what is behind closed doors. So just kind of doing a little audit of your home and looking at your spaces with fresh eyes. And, you know, in the kitchen, I see that a lot. Like if there are some open shelves, like make sure that the things on those open shelves are the things that are really beautiful or meaningful or personal instead of like a cluster of like hand sanitizers and charging cords.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
1: It makes a big difference.
0: It makes a huge difference. And also I just want to note for listeners, and I will of course link up both of your books in the show notes, but you re- have referenced already, just in these couple of examples, some very different, uh, some diversity in terms of the scope of the home. And I just wanted to say to you personally that I also really appreciated the cultural diversity in mm. your books. It's not something you I'm always glad. see, I got to yeah. say, in home yeah. home type books. and. That just meant a lot. So I think that a lot of people will be able to see themselves in these pages, whether it's culturally, whether it's the type of home, whether it's where you live. I feel like in this sampling of designers, you really captured so much. And so I think that was a real feat.
1: Thank you so much for mentioning that. That was a huge priority for me in doing this book. Um, and it it was just so important to me to represent, you know, cultural diversity, house diversity, mm-hmm. style diversity. So I'm so thrilled to hear that that came through.
0: Oh, yes. It came right through and I, I really appreciated it. Okay, Shira. Well, last question. At the end of each show, I ask my guest to share what is called your next edit. So this is a super actionable tip that you will recommend that listeners can consider doing right away after they finish listening to this conversation. So in the context of what we've chatted about, whether it's something we've already talked about or something that's top of mind for you fresh, I would love for you to share your next edit for this episode.
1: Oh, I love this. Okay. So I would say this is something that has been really useful for me, um, both personally and in my work, and it's, and it's free. So my tip is to try a month-long purchase pause. Um, where you do not buy anything that is not necessary, um, i.e. like the food that you need to eat or school supplies for your kids, Um, but that you experiment with just taking a pause from buying anything that's unnecessary. And during that time, the only directive is jot down everything you want to buy and make note of your shopping triggers, so mm, I, I love just this. did this and I could <laughs> not believe how often I wanted to buy things. Like I am a card carrying minimalist uh-huh. and I'm so into sustainability and I just watched and observed my brain going, I need this. I want this yeah. <laughs> like again and again and again. And so just having that awareness and then noticing, like for me, I noticed it really happened at night if I was bored. Um that was kind of like the main time where I would want to, you know, buy a new handbag or a pair of jeans or find myself browsing for home decor. Um, And so noticing like when I want to buy things, am I bored? Am I lonely? Like what's at the root cause of that kind of desire? Um, And then during the month long pause to start to identify what are some alternative things that feel good and can actually feed the need. Like for me, sometimes it's boredom or restlessness and I'll be like, oh, I'm going to go take a walk with a friend instead. And Mm -hmm. like much more deeply satisfying than buying a new handbag. Um, So that is what I would suggest is a one month purchase pause and just taking note of your feelings and your shopping triggers um, and keeping a little diary.
0: Oh my gosh. I have a huge smile on my face because I know you said you've done a bunch of binge listening to the show recently, but I am, as you probably have gathered by this point, a total data nerd. And so I love tracking Uh because it Uh it does help you uncover patterns. And I hadn't thought about it in terms of shopping and thinking about, okay, it's at night when I'm bored or it's when I'm really stressed about this, or I just think that is mega genius. So I'm psyched that that was your next edit.
1: Yes. Yeah. You will learn. i promise you will learn so much about yourself and your habits if you do this it was so eye-opening for me to do
0: oh data love it (laughs) shira this was such a delight i was admittedly a little bit sleepy when i started because it was just after lunchtime and i was a little (laughs) like oh no i'm gonna have to get my mojo going but you made it so easy and you are just wonderful and i'm over the moon for you and grateful for what you're bringing to the world and for these amazing books and all the advice that you give to people and all you shared on the show today. Thank you for being here.
1: Oh, I can't thank you enough. I could literally talk to you all day (laughs) and um, I'm so grateful for the opportunity. So thank you.
0: Wonderful. Take care. Okay, friends, you will find the show notes for this episode, including links to resources and related episodes at edityourlifeshow.com. As ever, I would love to hear your thoughts and questions. Come say hello on Instagram or Facebook at Edit Your Life Show or send an email to edityourlifeshow at gmail.com. I would also be grateful if you would drop Edit Your Life a review on Apple Podcasts or tell a pod loving friend about the show. Thanks for listening.
2: Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings